It was a bit of a mixed day today. We did our hop on, hop off bus, and it went okay. There was no English tour. It was all audio guide, so there wasn't any like live tour guide doing the narrative, the dialogue. But that's often just as well because it gives them, the company, the chance to have a whole bunch of different languages. So you get these little earbuds that uh, you can carry with you upstairs. There's a double-decker bus, so of course we went straight upstairs. And in front of every seat, there's a plug. You just plug in the earphones so you can use your own and then choose the right channel. So channel one was Spanish, channel two was English, three was French, and on from there, when we turned to two, there was nothing. So Emily practiced her Spanish. I think she ended up practicing some Italian too on one of the different channels. And uh, fortunately, je comprends assez le français. Alors, j'ai écouté en français. Uh, and it was interesting. Uh, we didn't listen to the audio tour the entire time around, but uh, in certain chunks of it for sure. The hop-on, hop-off bus has two routes. It's well-structured, so they kind of overlap in about the middle of the city. And one bus tours the old historic part of Madrid. And then the other route goes a bit further north around some of the more modern sections of the city. So you have the option of doing both. They're both included with the ticket. And uh, that's what we did. We started with the historical part of the tour, did a few stops, and then got off the bus, walked around, got on a dif different one to do the modern section. That was pretty cool because it went out one of the broad avenues that's clearly quite modern. There's big skyscrapers and stuff. And as you get uh, towards the end of their route, about halfway along this avenue, you get to the football stadium. This is where uh, Real Madrid play. So I'm not a huge football fan, but it is pretty neat. I, I do appreciate the history that happens in that building. It's hosted World Cup final, final matches and European Cups and, of course, Champions League and all this kind of stuff. So it was neat to drive past it. The stadium is in the midst of this massive renovation. I read a little bit about it online where they're basically replacing the entire exterior and putting a new retractable roof on the top, adding a bunch more seats. It's essentially making an entire new stadium. I think the thing is already maybe close to 100 years old, 80 years old, something like that. So this will modernize it. And so the whole site was surrounded by big construction cranes and so on. I think it'll be done in the next year or so. But yes, it was a, that was a pretty impressive sight to see, to go past the modern stadium. The entire tour, well, I guess it depends which route you take. Each route, really, takes about 60 minutes. If you just stay on the bus and ride the whole way around, then you can switch to the other route. It would take about another hour to do the second one. So most people kind of hop off in between, of course, and, and wander around a bit. So once we did that modern section, we came back to one of the main corners of the city. This is the Puerta de Alcalá, which is one of the great entrance gates into the old part of the city. The Calle de Alcala goes basically around it. The actual arch is in an island in like a roundabout in the middle of the avenue. But it's a big ceremonial boulevard that heads to the west, kind of south-southwest, towards Puerta del Sol, and after that Plaza Mayor. And eventually you make your way basically down to around the uh, Royal Palace. And that, if you're going the opposite direction, kind of east-northeast, then you're heading out even more into the modern part of the city. The Puerta is also at the northwest corner of the great park, Parque de El Retiro. So it's very centrally located. We thought, well, this is a good place to get off the bus and, you know, wander around a bit. As soon as we got off the bus, we realized, oh, we're actually quite hungry. <laughs> By this time, I think it was close to one in the afternoon. And we quickly realized this was not the best place to go looking for food. There weren't many restaurants in that area anyway. Uh, the ones that did exist were very, very, very high-end, fancy, you know, 45, 50 euro a plate type places. So we weren't dressed for them, never mind had the budget. 
So we kept walking. We're all getting hungrier and hungrier. We're heading west there towards the Gran Via, which is another high-end avenue that uh, goes kind of to the north side of the old central part of the city, full of high-end shops again and restaurants and the whole deal. We really weren't finding anything. We weren't sure what we were going to do. I mean, should we keep walking back towards Puerto del Sol or, I don't know, another 20, 30 minutes? I mean, we were pretty much at our limit at this point. Now, at that point, I look across the street, and you're not going to believe this. <laughs> there was a Tim Hortons across the street on the Gran Via, on this, you know, high, again, high class, high rent, the whole deal. Right in the middle of all these fancy restaurants was a Tim Hortons, Canadian Coffee Roasters, I think it said on the sign. <laughs> what on earth was this doing in the middle of Madrid? I mean, it was clearly the real thing. It was the same logo, you know, it was clearly a Tim Hortons, but I'm sure their menu was slightly different. I, I got the sense they didn't sell double-doubles or honey crullers there. We were only looking at it from across the street. Now, here's the question. If you're in our shoes, do you go to Tim Hortons, knowing essentially what to expect, knowing that it would be much more affordable than the other places around? But of course, this is the furthest thing from an authentic Spanish experience to go to Tim Hortons, you might as well go to McDonald's or something. You know, what would you do? Of course, to the kids too. We're all quite hungry here. Uh, do you do that? Or do you keep walking around, find something that is more authentic, more local, more genuine? Well, we were just about to cross the street. We did see a couple of restaurants that were offering tapas and salads and things like that. A little inflated for sure, but it seemed like a bit of a, a holdover until maybe we found some other food later on. So that's what we did. The place we ended up going to was called, the restaurant was called the Mercado de la Reina, the Queen's Market. So that was a, a bit of an ominous sign in and of itself. But I mean, they're all basically like this. We ended up getting three tapas for 20-something euros, just enough to hold us over. And of course, you know, it's delicious. The quality was great, but clearly quite expensive. So maybe that is a lesson for next time. I mean, we we could have obviously gone to Tim Hortons in the end, but, you know, we we try to do the authentic thing. Uh, but this is it. I, I mean, we all know what it's like when you're hungry, of course, and you're traveling and you got to find something to eat and you don't want to have to splurge. You really have to plan ahead. It's hard to be spontaneous or last minute when it comes to food and especially kids and food. Put that together. That's an ominous mix. At least Emily had brought some snacks. We bought some carrots the night before. We had uh, some rice cakes. So that helped to get us through as well. And the other thing that's been interesting to observe, at least in Madrid, but I think in the other places we've been to, actually, most of the case, is you rarely, at least we have rarely seen, a kid's menu. Uh, you, you go to these restaurants and, you know, there's all the different sections, the starters, the appetizers, and then the main course and salads, desserts, the whole deal. There's rarely, if ever, any suggestion of kids or kids' sections. So we ask, I mean, what do you recommend for the kids? And the waiter would usually say, well, you could try this. And, you know, it's you basically share it between two kids. You know, one order is good for two type thing. I mean, okay, now you're hoping that we're hoping that they're going to eat it <laughs> because they do tend to be fuzzy eaters. And, uh, you know, we're paying 12 or 15 euros for a plate here. You're going to split it, but... I really hope you eat it, because if you don't, I'm not sure what else we're going to have for food here. So that's always a bit of a challenge, too. But it's true. I mean, what do kids do in general? I mean, families go out for dinner. I can only assume in most cases that the kids must eat the same thing as the adults and just order from the same menu. 
Today was another cold and windy day. It was a bit sunnier, at least, than yesterday, for sure. There was the odd drop of rain. It was definitely sunnier, but it was still quite cold. I mean, with that wind just howling down between the buildings, I mean, it felt like maybe four or five degrees Celsius. I almost thought if it was raining, like, you might even see some uh, uh, flakes of snow here. It felt pretty cold. The day was going okay, all things considered, until mid-afternoon, after that lunch there, after the tapas, and the goal was to now walk back along the Calle de Alcala, back to the main kind of north-south boulevard. It's called Paseo de Recoletos, which is a big, wide boulevard. It has fountains along the way, gardens in the middle. We even found a playground a bit further down. There's museums on both sides. So we were going to turn down there, go a couple more blocks to the east, and finally get to the great park, Parque de El Retiro. Along the way, yeah, we stopped in one of these little playgrounds, and I told the kids, well, look, you know, we're not going to stay here for long. We're going to the big park. We, we'd already seen some playgrounds from the bus when we drove past earlier, so surely there's going to be lots to play in there. So we walk over to the park. The entire park, at least as far as we could see, I'm pretty sure the entire park was surrounded by tall fences, like kind of wrought iron fences with spikes at the top. It's all painted, you know, in gold-type leaf and, and nicely done, and big entrance gates spread out in... Uh, various sections of the wall every few hundred meters, so it's quite controlled, clearly, the access into the place. I noticed as we were getting closer, well, the gate is closed. Um, that's interesting. Maybe it's just the door is closed and you push it open, but we get up there and there was nobody around. There was nobody inside the park. We could see right through. The playground that we'd seen earlier was completely deserted. And then I look over near the gate, and there was an electronic sign, in fact, that said there was a red alert for a weather warning in the area. All parks were closed for the day. Ugh, you gotta be kidding. I mean, really? Like, it was windy, but it didn't seem excessively windy. Was this the reason? Was there some other reason? Was it maybe a, a cover story or something? Was something else happening? Regardless, the park was closed. We couldn't go in. I still wasn't convinced. We walked a bit further down along the sidewalk, now alongside the big long fence there with the spikes at the top, you know, looking for the next gate. Again, it was like easily two or three hundred meters further down the street. We get to that one, exact same thing. Everything's locked up tight. Nobody's inside. They have this electronic sign with the red screen that says, red alert, park is closed. Well, it was tempting to keep looking and trying to get more information. Maybe there was still some corner that was maybe open, but I can see where this is heading. I mean, look, we're just going to keep walking and getting the same result here. Not to mention, we're getting farther and farther from the hop-on, hop-off bus route. So we're going to have to backtrack to get back on the bus and carry on and finish the rest of that tour. So it was pretty obvious that this was it. We were not going to go and see Parque de El Retiro after all. It was clearly completely closed, and that was that. So we headed back over towards Paseo del Prado. Now we're kind of closer to the south half of El Retiro Park. We're kind of the southwest corner a bit. And you walk down a bit of a hill to get to uh, Paseo del Prado. Along the way, as we get closer to the avenue there, I did notice another park on the left, and this was the Real Jardín Botánico, the Royal Botanical Gardens. Normally, you would pay 8 euros to get in, but fortunately now, it was free. Quickly uh, discovered why, because there wasn't much growing inside, but at least this was an option. So clearly, we went in, and we wandered around, and you see how they've structured the gardens. There's all these different sections for different climates, different types of plants. It's very decorative. It's very, very formal. But it was neat. It was well done, and the kids liked it. They could run around and play on some of the rock gardens and steps and so on. So that was at least a bit of a solace for missing out on El Retiro. After the botanical gardens, at least we were close to Paseo del Prado, where the hop-on-hop bus is supposed to roll along. 
we knew the stop, the nearest stop was like literally just around the corner. I mean, 50 meters away. So we went over to wait. And we waited and we waited. Now they say the buses are supposed to come every 30 minutes. And so I, okay, look, we may not get it right away. Let's, we may have to wait a bit guys, but we're in the right spot. So 20 minutes goes by, 25, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, nothing's happening. Finally, finally, a big red double-decker bus turns the corner way down to the end of the avenue to come our way. As it gets closer, I see the words, Fuera de Servicio, out of service. Okay, well, maybe we're missing something here because, you know, there's been one bus in 40-plus minutes and it was out of service. So have they shut the thing down? The service was supposed to run until 6 o'clock. It was only 4 o'clock at this point. So now we're walking back up the Paseo del Prado up to one of the main corners across from the Fuente de Neptuno, the corner of the Museo Nacional de Prado, which is, uh, I think, the top art museum in Madrid, world-class European art collection. Of course, we didn't really have time to go in, but I know it's very impressive. Anyway, we were at the north side of the museum. There was another hop-on, hop-off bus stop. There were other people waiting, and we asked around, and like, well, there's supposed to still be another bus. Uh, finally, someone came up who worked for the company, a bit of a chaperone, and she explained, yes, there will be another bus. So finally, they'd show up. So that was after a good 45 minutes of waiting. We get back on the bus. We could finally warm up and uh, finish the rest of the tour. So the bus then, there we're back on the historic circuit. The bus takes us back over down the Gran Via there, past Tim Hortons, out past the Plaza de España, which is kind of to the north side of the Palacio Real. And then what's neat, actually, is that the bus circles around and goes down behind the Palacio. The Palacio, if you remember from when we were there the day before, yesterday, it's really at the edge of this hill, this plateau, on which central Madrid sits. So the bus goes down to the bottom of this hill, and you can look up and see the palace way up above, and the big cathedral right next to it is quite an impressive view. That was pretty neat, and then we circle around to the south side of central Madrid, the old part. There's another big gate there, the Puerta de Toledo. So we passed that, and then it brought us back towards uh, the stop where we had initially gone on at uh, around 10.30 in the morning, which was near Plaza Mayor, and that's about an eight-minute walk from our apartment. So in the end, everything was quite central. Now I had looked up, another good thing I should point out is that the hop-on, hop-off bus did have free Wi-Fi, which worked most of the time, so that was very handy. We could find a restaurant, we were still looking for our paella. I found a place about halfway between that final bus stop and our apartment called La Barça del Patio, which had great reviews for its paella, and that's where we finished out our evening. Now I'll give you one important tip, certainly in Spain, probably most places around Europe, when you first sit down, they'll come over and ask you if you want something to drink. They're probably expecting beer or wine, something similar. If you say, no, no, we'll just have water, ah, that means you're ordering a bottle of spring water, which costs four or five euros. So the waiter comes over with a beautiful, big, tall, blue glass, one liter bottle of wonderful spring water. And of course, it was four or something euros. <laughs> so we made the most of every drop. Then we got to trying to figure out the menu and, of course, what to recommend for the kids. We had initially settled on some kind of ham and cheese wrap by the sounds of it. And we ordered that, but the guy came back a few minutes later and said, oh, it turns out they didn't have the ingredients, so we had to start again. We had noticed this the first time. We were trying to avoid it, but in the end, we settled on hamburger. We knew it would be a big one. Again, we asked him, well, is this enough for two people, for two kids? And he said, yes, it should be fine. Hamburger with fries. Sure enough, it was quite a big burger cut in two and then into another two. So they each had two small pieces, lots of fries. They even got ketchup. The kids were happy. Hamburger saves the day. However, then came the highlight of the day. We got our paella. This is fresh made to order 
in this place. They had a wood-fired, not an oven really. I mean, it was kind of a a long stone pit with charcoal and little pieces of wood burning. And I think they cooked the paella there. I mean, it tasted a little bit smoky. It does anyway, though. It has that smoked paprika, I think, taste, that umami flavor when it arrives. And it's in this big, big round casserole iron pan, at least 20 inches wide. The pan is piping hot, so they have protectors so you don't touch the handles by accident. And then you have your paella that's all spread out. It looks like this thing is, I mean, it is massive. It looks like it's really, really thick, too. In the end, it's maybe an inch or so thick, which is definitely more than enough by the time you scrape the whole thing out. The guy told us, like, one serving of paella like this is easily enough for two people. You could basically spread it easily between three people, if not more. And we ordered the seafood one, so there was seafood mixed in, the shrimp and bits of calamari and I think some other things. And then on top you have your two whole shrimp in the shell with the eyes, with the tails, the whole thing, (laughs) the legs, and a few mussels as well in the shell. So it all adds to the effect. But it really was quite delicious. It was a nice saucy texture. It wasn't dry. It wasn't too saucy. It was just right. Yeah, again, that nice kind of smoky flavor. Not overpowering in terms of seafood. The only thing was it was surprisingly salty. It really was a bit saltier than we expected, but very, very delicious, very filling. That'll keep us going for a while. So I'm really glad we found not just something that was good, but it was authentic. It was the real deal. It cost about 16 euros for that. But again, split between two, really not bad at all. So as I say, it was a bit of a hit and miss day. I mean, we were happy to do the tour, of course. Uh, We were very disappointed about the park. We got our paella. It was also very cold and windy. I found myself preoccupied most of the day with when we get back to our apartment here and all the things we need to do. We need to repack all our bags, collect all the laundry, fit in the dry food that we've bought the last few days. And I'm also wondering if I'll have to check in my computer tomorrow. Now, tomorrow, we're actually flying from Madrid to Lisbon. The flight leaves at 10.30. So we're going to have to be out of the door here at the apartment at by 8 o'clock in the morning. We've already checked in, a pre-check-in, but we've got to drop off our bags. When I checked in, it's, they had some message that says, you're not allowed to bring any electronic devices in carry-on. Well, I've never seen this before, and I, surely everybody who's getting on the airplane has a smartphone or a tablet or anything else. So I'm not sure. I may have to squeeze my laptop into my big backpack, which will then get checked. And of course, cross my fingers that they don't toss it around and it gets damaged. That's in the back of my mind, just the whole process of getting ready to pack up and head out again tomorrow and get to the airport. And how will we get to the airport? Now, if it was just the two of us, we would easily walk down to the nearest metro station, transfer two or three times, and take the metro all the way out to the airport. It's very convenient that way even if you're squeezing on with big backpacks. But we don't want to walk that far with the kids. And of course, you know, it is a lot to squeeze onto the metro with the four of us. So they also have an airport bus from the Atosha station, which is where we arrived by train a couple days ago from Barcelona, and which we know only costs about six euros by taxi from here to the front door of the station. From there is an airport bus that's supposed to run every 15, 20 minutes, takes about 30 minutes to get out to the airport. I'm sure they have luggage racks and everything is designed for that, and it only costs five euros each. Now, what I'm also thinking is with four of us, five euros, that's 20 euros. The taxi, if we get a taxi there, it'll be another six euros or so. So we're up to 26. I've read that taxis from central Madrid out to the airport are supposed to cost 30 euros. So obviously, we're going to pay like another four or five euros to get a taxi ride from here straight out to the airport if we can. The trick is going to be to find one, make sure it actually is that price, and that it'll get us there in time. 
So I've got all this in the back of my mind here as well today. There's still a lot of ifs and unknowns, and I don't like traveling that way, especially when it is with the kids. And this comes back to why we're flying. You may be wondering why we would fly to Lisbon. We've been taking the train all this time. My initial assumption weeks ago planning this trip was that, well, surely we take the train from Madrid straight to Lisbon. There are no more direct trains between the two cities. There used to be. It shut down, I think, because of the pandemic, or at least that was the excuse. They're supposed to bring it back, perhaps in the next couple of years, maybe even a high-speed train. But at least for now, there is no direct train between Madrid and Lisbon. You, in fact, have to take three trains to get there. So I looked into this. You take one train to the Spanish-Portuguese border. Then you change. You wait about 40 minutes for a Portuguese train to pick you up, take you into Portugal over to the main line north of Lisbon. Then you take another train to get you right into the city. The whole journey would take something like eight and a half, nine hours. And, of course, you're making two connections. And I didn't want to risk that, you know, what if the trains are delayed or something happens and we're stranded out in some Spanish frontier town, having already reserved a room for sure that night in Lisbon, we'd lose out on that. We'd have to find another place to stay with the kids in tow. It just seemed too much, too much stress. And I'm very appreciative of that now because I would really be stressing if that's what we were looking forward to doing tomorrow. So instead, although it's disappointing, we would have liked to see the countryside, of course, and it's nice to go by land. Well... The simplest, easiest, fastest thing, let's just fly. It's an hour and a 15-minute flight from Madrid to Lisbon. Uh, the airport's are really well connected. It's easy to get into town or up to the airport here. And uh, we'll be in Lisbon tomorrow morning at like uh, 10.45 or so in the morning, local time. We'll have the whole rest of the day. So that's what we're going to do. And it really just comes back to eliminating as much of that stress as possible. Sometimes the stress of particular things, as we're talking about here, plus fatigue and the cold and my poor digestion, it makes for a rough day. I'm looking forward to Lisbon, where it should be sunny and 16 degrees Celsius. Last of all, I'm not sure yet what I think of Madrid. We'll reflect on it for sure some more over the coming days, thinking back, looking at our pictures. There's no special characteristic that really jumps out about the city. I mean, I like the winding streets where we are here, where we're staying, but it can feel a little claustrophobic sometimes. I realized one thing is quite different with Madrid. There's no major river. There's no waterfront, of course. There's just no big focal point that's out in the open that's really obvious that people gravitate to, you know, and is kind of maybe a big open heart of the city. I mean, even the palace is oriented away from the city. There is that courtyard there between the palace and the cathedral, but they're not on the main boulevard. So Maybe that's it. It just It's kind of lacking a bit of that focal point. You have the Plaza Mayor. Again, it's kind of barricaded off on all sides. I mean, it's a wonderful, it's a beautiful and impressive space. And it really is. It's hard to put a finger on how I feel about Madrid. I'm glad we saw it for sure. I have a really, really good sense of the city now. I had almost no clue about it weeks ago when we started researching. I didn't know where anything was. I didn't know what to look for or what the famous attractions were or any of that stuff. So we know that now. We've seen the city. It is beautiful, big, massive, impressive, majestic buildings, beautiful architecture, nice wide boulevards, fountains everywhere, statues, arches. I don't know. I don't want to judge the city just because the weather's been very cold and I haven't been feeling 100%. But first impression, at least, has been I don't find it a place that's particularly exciting. You know, sometimes you go to a place within an hour sometimes, within half a day at least, you know, you just have that feeling. It's like, this place is wonderful. I want to spend as much time here as possible. I don't want to leave. I can't wait to come back. I haven't felt that way about Madrid the last couple of days. Again, very, very happy to see it, but it hasn't really excited us all that much either. I'm careful for sure not to have too high expectations with Lisbon. 
But hey, it does have that waterfront, you know, the Tagus River is right there, the big ceremonial arch and the waterfront plaza, and the ocean is just down the river. I mean, you can see the opening to the harbor, I know, from when you stand along the edge there. So I'm looking forward to that. This is the trick with traveling, you know, is really trying to balance what your expectations are. Go with the flow and just see what you discover. We're excited to get to Lisbon, though, for sure. It's obviously the culmination of a very intense and hectic uh, seven, eight days of travel from Paris, which already seems like quite a long time ago. We're going to spend one night in a room that we've booked in the center of the city, and then on Thursday we go out to our Airbnb, which we reserve for four weeks, and that's where things will really start to change. So hopefully I'll check in with you tomorrow night from Lisbon, or else from the Airbnb pretty soon. As always, thanks for listening. Feel free to share the episodes here and I encourage you to go back and listen to any you haven't heard yet, especially the audio interlude was fun. It was nice to have a different kind of feel. And for sure, if you know anybody who is doing some family travel, is thinking about it, traveling with young kids like ours, five, seven years old, I really try to frame things in that perspective of parents trying to juggle all of this stuff, the planning, the packing, the food, the safety, the fatigue, and even the excitement too, the energy, you know? The kids, our kids at least, they just get wound up bouncing off the walls around 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. Last night they were up until 11 o'clock. So any parent, I'm sure, can resonate with that. And if they're parents who love to travel as well, I hope they find some good value out of these episodes. And there'll be lots more to come. Thanks very much, everyone, and we'll talk to you more soon.